what we're calling our intuition isn't really our intuition, it's our hormone imbalance. Uh, so is it intuition or is it hangriness? Is it intuition or insatiable cravings? I mean, emotional eating, stress eating, blood sugar dysregulation is not intuition. Welcome to the Seamland Podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and today we talk with Dr. Will Cole. Will is one of the leading functional medicine doctors in the U.S. He has his medical practice and has written many books, such as The Inflammation Spectrum and Ketotarian. In this episode, we're going to talk about Will's latest book called Intuitive Fasting. This episode is brought to you by Katsu Training. Katsu bands incorporate blood flow moderation training that trick the body into thinking that it's lifting heavier weights than it actually is. When traditional weightlifting requires you to reach 70 to 80% of your one repetition maximum to stimulate muscle hypertrophy, then Katsu bands achieve that effect only at 20 to 30%. So it's perfect for treating injuries or used when you don't have access to heavier weights. Research about katsu bands also shows it lowers blood pressure, speeds up recovery from injuries, releases stem cells, builds muscle, burns fat, and prevents age the muscle loss. These things are amazing, and I use them almost every day to recover from my heavier workouts. If you want to try out the katsu bands, then use the code SEAM for a 10% discount at katsu-global.com. That's S-I-I-M at katsu-global.com. Will, welcome back to the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, we first talked, I believe it was like in the second half of 2020. And by that time, you didn't have released your new book yet, but you did come out with it like a few months ago, which is intuitive fasting. So maybe let's yes. talk a little bit about like, what is intuitive fasting and you know, how does it work? <laughs> so it's my made up phrase. Like it's, it's born out of my clinical experience, just like anything else that I'd write about, because it's all I know is my clinical work. Um, so it's it's a mindful approach to intermittent fasting. I think the context matters when it comes to many things within wellness. So how you do something is is just as important as how and why you do something is just as important as the what. So or what that you do, what you do. So I, I want people to check in with their body and have more of an intuitive relationship to things like intermittent fasting and to food. But I want to have an authentic conversation about it too because. Part of the reason why I wrote it is because you see a lot of people on social media talking about this concept of intuitive eating, which was a book in the 90s, which I'm not jogging on in any specific book. So the capital I, capital E, intuitive eating, really not talking about that book. What I'm talking about is the social media movement and a lot of people within even the body positivity movement they talk about this concept of I'm an intuitive eater. And as somebody that consults people via webcam for 11 hours a day talking to people, when people are in the throes of chronic inflammation, they're in the throes of blood sugar problem and uh, blood sugar dysregulation or insulin resistance, uh, metabolic syndrome, which is the majority of the human race, their quote unquote intuition there, it's basically trying to normalize metabolic disorders, which I think is a problem or they're, they're saying, well, my body is just craving this food that's driving inflammation. Is that what we're yeah. saying? My body's just intuitively wanting something that actually shortens its lifespan. <laughs> so yeah. I want to have an authentic conversation about what we're calling our intuition isn't really our intuition, it's our hormone imbalance. Hmm. Uh, so is it intuition or is it hangriness? Is it intuition or insatiable cravings? I mean, emotional eating, stress eating, blood sugar dysregulation is not intuition. So I wanted to have a functional medicine conversation about this concept of metabolic flexibility because actual metabolic flexibility, physiological metabolic flexibility is fertile foundation for authentic mindful eating and intuitive fasting. You'll be able to go longer 
without eating, not because it's not because it's some restrictive fasting protocol or so obsessive food protocol. You can just go longer without eating because your body's more metabolically flexible. So mm -hmm. it's really a conversation on, okay, if we want to talk about intuition, I'm all for that, but you have to have metabolic flexibility to actually do that. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be gritting your teeth and and you're you're actually going to be going towards your metabolism is going to be going towards things that are quick fix that are that sugar craving that that uh, hangriness, but it's really ultimately going to perpetuate you feeling miserable. So that's what intuitive fasting is all about. Mm. Yeah, I, I love that, and uh, I, I agree completely that you know we uh, we have to kind of differentiate between our actual like intuition that's come from uh, comes from like our higher self, like our consciousness or self consciousness. And the intuition that comes from our like this uh, sugar cravings or this uh, crocodile brain, the reptilian mind that is motivated mm -hmm. by just, you know, getting fat and uh, getting as much calories as possible to survive. So there's a difference yeah. between like, you know, survival and uh, thriving. And uh, yes. like, usually our brain is like, uh, like evolutionarily, we're always motivated to basically eat the, eat the cookie and eat the donuts and eat the kind of uh, very hyperpalatable foods. But uh, from our, like you said, if we want to be healthy, then we have to have like this mindfulness about it and uh, intuition in cells, like a different perspective on this intuition. Right. And I think that the terms can be conflated oftentimes because they're not looking at it from a health standpoint and they're not even understanding the psychology or the like ancestral health perspective of the, of the topic. But it's, it's, it's building metabolic flexibility on a physiological level. But it's also, like you said, this higher self of checking in with your body and really using food and fasting as a mindfulness practice because that higher self can really create an awareness on is this really my intuition or is this just a craving and yeah. creating that awareness so that is um that is an important point of of my work with my patients and i wanted people to hear about this information yeah i wonder like what kind of response have you gotten let's say from this people who are in the body positivity movement, maybe like, or people who are, let's say, yeah, saying that you just listen to intuition. So is it like, what is their response been to the book so far? Well, I mean, when the book came out, there was a lot of misinformation around it and look, mostly good stuff that, that people that actually read the book, it was overwhelmingly positive. So I don't want to, I want to put that into perspective that it was, we, the book's done amazing. People that are reading are really loving it. There's an amazing intuitive fasting online community. So that's the context is they are the majority of people that book hit the New York Times list, which is a big deal in the United States. And, um, but there was a small pocket of those body positivity people and not even all of them, but you get this echo chamber on social media, you know, that where there's this toxic tribalism where you're just like very negative and very right. militant and very uh, troll like on social media. And they didn't read the book and they just were very triggered by the word because Oftentimes, people that are involved in toxic tribalism, they're kind of addicted to being triggered and addicted to being offended, just like they're addicted to food that perpetuates their blood sugar imbalance, to be honest with you. So it's it's was like some misrepresentation because I'm not advocating for disordered eating, and that's what they think. They think that any intermittent fasting, the idea that there could be any intuition or mindfulness around fasting was very triggering to them. But the reality is the idea that fasting could be used for spiritual purposes or intuitively fasting has been used for the purposes for thousands of years. I'm just reminding people of what, how humans use fasting. They use fasting from a food scarcity standpoint. That's how it's evolved, evolved with it, but it was also used intentionally for spiritual purposes and health purposes. So intuitive fasting is just reminding us in our modern world of how fasting has been used for health purposes and mindfulness purposes for eons. 
So yeah, it was a little bit mis misrepresented. Part of it is the fact that Gwyneth Paltrow, who's a friend of mine and a patient of mine, wrote the forward of intuitive fasting. I think that they're they're like committed to misunderstanding people. Right. This this group of people are committed to misunderstanding people in the public space like her that's talking about wellness and and they're committed to misunderstanding us in the functional medicine space too sometimes. Yeah, for sure, yeah. And yeah, it's usually that uh, people when they are addicted to this junk food, then it does cloud their thinking. And uh, yeah. of course, of course, you say that it's okay to have the cookie or something and it's uh, that you shouldn't, uh, you know, worry about it. And but, but in reality, it's just you're like, um, your uh, sugar cravings are controlling your, you know, talks, uh, your words. And one of the best examples of like intuitive fasting itself comes from nature, like when animals get sick, or even if you humans, us, we get sick, uh, we get a fever, we do, like uh, our motivation to eat uh, also decreases. So this is a natural response to like this infection and sickness that we stop eating. So intuitive fasting yeah. itself already exists uh, in nature as well. It already exists. And then I'm just bringing a different layer to it to say, look, we are in a spectrum of dysfunction in our culture. I mean, talking about 60, 70% of the United States has a massive blood sugar problem. 50 million Americans have autoimmune diseases, the amount of digestive problems and other inflammatory problems. Well, fasting can be used as a way to really have agency over our physiology once more by decreasing that evolutionary mismatch, by decreasing that genetic epigenetic mismatch. So yeah, it is, it is a new conversation to people that aren't in our space, but we know that the amazing health benefits of it and the data to pack back it up. And I just, I know if people start taking action on their health, the power of the human body is just so exciting. Mm. So it was such a positive book, but it's our, it's their social media culture that we live in, right? You could take something positive and twist it in something negative. It's done all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but what, what, what would be like some uniqueness to uh, fasting per se that, um, you know, like, why would you just be able to do like calorie restriction or why don't you just uh, be mindful about your eating in a sense and uh, hopefully lose weight with that? Like, why would you do it, um, incorporate the fasting to it? it's a tool within the toolbox. I think for people that what they're, if what they're doing is working for them, then keep doing what you're doing. But what I wanted to do is really show the data and show the science around time compressed feeding or time restricted feeding, which is a specific subset of intermittent fasting. So it's not doing caloric restriction. It's just eating in specific windows. So I was just, I am so excited about the science around this type of intermittent fasting and different types of fasting too, that I highlight within the book. But the main type of intermittent fasting that I talk about is the time compressed feeding, where you're just giving your body a bigger window of fasting. So it's a way for people, I think it's a quite an accessible way and approachable way for most people, because they don't have to do multiple long day fasting, multiple consecutive fasts, which there's, of course, a place for that too. But for the sake of the book, I want, I, I this is something that I do in my own life, I implement in patients' lives and, and protocols. I just know it's, it's very approachable, very accessible, very modifiable too. So it's very, you can tailor it to your schedule, you can make it work for your preference. So if some people really love breakfast, maybe they're going to just end eating earlier and get their calories in in the front end of the day, or it could happen vice versa. So, and you can fluctuate intuitively, which I'm teaching the person that's reading the book throughout the book to constantly or be very um, intentional with checking in with your body and checking in with how you're feeling and you can adjust it intuitively as you gain metabolic flexibility. So I put a protocol in the book for people as a springboard to learn about these practices. But after a while, it's like, it's like a yoga practice, you can intuitively adjust that practice accordingly. And I want people to really own it for themselves. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm also a huge fan of time sheet eating. And um, 
even the research suggests that uh, even without reducing the color intake, you see like some of the benefits, like reduced inflammation and uh, improved insulin sensitivity and uh, reduced blood sugar. And so there is like some uh, uniqueness to the comp compression of the eating window as well. And like you said, you can do it like in any way you want. There is no like specific uh, like set rules to it and uh, like a magic number. And even like what I would even suggest that is even if you can't, you know, skip uh, actual the three meals, you can uh, at least like skip some of the snacks because that's also just one of those hidden causes of this massive uh, blood sugar swings and uh, massive source of extra calories all the time because like the average american they eat from over the course of like 15 16 hours so even if you just uh, skip the snacks and the have yeah. three you start off with this three square meals a day then you already get at least some of the benefits yeah absolutely and that's honestly the um week one and week four of the book which is just a 12 12 which in the fasting world it's probably not very sexy but for the average human being, I think it's a great starting point yeah. to lean into this. It's just allowing a couple of hours before you go to bed to fast through the night until you break the fast at breakfast in the morning. So that's a good starting point. And then from there, we lean into 18.6 or 16.8 and then almost OMAD week two, which is one meal a day. So these vacillating, expanding and contracting eating and fasting windows are an amazing tool to like that yoga class this proverbial yoga class for your metabolism start to expand and contract your metabolism to be more metabolically flexible because most people are just so metabolically rigid they're hangry they're inflamed they have blood sugar volatility roller coaster throughout the day that is not your all of that stuff is proverbial noise that will drown out that small voice of your intuition so if you want to actually calm the noise in your body and actually hear have proper signaling pathways have blood sugar signaling optimized, have gut brain access optimized, have lowered inflammation levels so your brain can actually be functioning at optimal capacity. That's what you need to truly have agency over your health. So you're not at the whim, you're not enslaved to that craving. You can have actually have an, a, an awareness of what your body truly needs. Yeah, yeah, like, like you mentioned earlier that uh, it's been practiced for thousands of years, the fasting and uh, sp spiritual practices for that, and even like, you know, the philosophers use it to improve their cognition and stuff. So it does have like a pretty profound effect on your brain and uh, psychology in, in a sense that you do. Let's say from my own personal experience, I can say that you feel like this mental clarity and less of the noise. So it does have like this, you become more like intu intuitive about your signals mm -hmm. that your body receives and like uh, the different uh, feelings and stuff. So it does have like a pretty powerful way of training your intuition, whereas like with other things like, you know, portion control or such, it's much harder to do it because you get the results much faster with some fasting. Yeah, absolutely. And when people start feeling better, that is so encouraging for people. They want to keep doing the things that make them feel good. Is that the concept that I call in the book is food peace. It's having this sort of like end of the war of of with it within yourself like people are just at, at at war with their bodies and at war with food and use food for all different types of abusive reasons so they can really start having agency over their health not in a controlling obsessive way which isn't healthy either but in just sort of a freedom to say I, I know what works for my body and having that discernment and clarity and awareness in that it's usually just it's, it's so much freedom it's so much peace when people have that over their lives yeah absolutely uh but how would you let's say recognize your intuition from the noise like what is some of the maybe not signs and the signals that you're going to recognize well i think first that's why i put the protocol in the way that i did i think that people physiologically need to have some metabolic flexibility that does not mean they have to be perfect uh you know you uh, 100 health 
they just need to start depending on where they're starting out at. I start the book out with a quiz that I adapted from questions that I ask patients. So people can take that quiz to kind of see how metabolically flexible I am or how am I metabolically inflexible? How much of a sugar burner am I? Or do I have the ability to burn both sugar and fat? Most people are stuck in that sugar burning mode. So if they're really, really sugar burning and they're really metabolically inflexible and they're going through lots of different metabolic issues, it's, it's going to take a while to really build that physiological infrastructure to have a more of a balanced relationship with food and their bodies. But they're going to grow in awareness and intuition over the course of doing these, this protocol in the book, which is, again, is this sort of proverbial yoga class for your metabolism. So you start off with 12-12, then go into 16-8 or 18-6, and then go into that almost OMAD fast, and then go back into 12-12. And you're constantly cycling through this four-week protocol that not just is fasting, but it's using food therapeutically too, to support that metabolic flexibility. But we're not just doing the physiological stuff. We're also doing the mental, emotional, spiritual stuff too, which fasting, again, like we keep saying, has been done that way for a long time. So what I call it in the book, I call it metaphysical meals. It's these sort of spiritual or mindfulness practices that people can use with their fasting. So, you know, it could be prayer, but it's it could be uh, breathing exercises, like a mindfulness practice, present moment awareness, journaling. It could be like Shinrin Yoku, like going out and using nature as a med meditation with forest bathing. It could just be getting out in nature and walking and, and taking it. And you know, you, maybe you don't identify it as forest bathing, but it's just going out and doing something, some act of stillness in your life. Maybe it's using yeah. like doing a tea, tea ceremony and using that as a mindfulness practice while you intermittent fast. It's that stuff that I think is, is just as important as the physical stuff. So you're getting the yeah. physical benefits of intermittent fasting and food used therapeutically in this way. But the growing that mindfulness muscle is also important too, because mm -hmm. you can start to becoming aware of how your, what your relationship is like with food and what, what your relationship is like with your body and start to heal those relationships too over time and grow in confidence with your relationships. You're not at discord with your body. You can become more enrooted in your body. Uh, so that, that mindfulness practice coincide, you know, at the same simultaneously with the intermittent fasting, you'll start to grow in intuition. You'll start to grow in awareness about truly what your body loves and what your body doesn't love, what serves you and what does not serve you. And there's yeah. no shame in that learning process. Just like with meditation, like if your mind wanders off, you don't have to shame yourself. Just like if you don't do that intermittent fast perfect, or if you don't uh, eat perfectly, it's okay. But use that as a mindfulness practice to really see for next time, you'll know oh, this thing doesn't didn't serve me. So it's not about all the things you can't have. And I say this in the book, you can eat whatever you want, but you just love feeling great more than you thought you missed something that really didn't serve you. So it's having that agency and that food piece that I want people to have where it isn't this restrictive, arduous, punitive thing. It's like, no, I love feeling great. And it's a bad trade-off to have something that dimmed the light that I have. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree that it's not only just the food, it's also like uh, how you check your smartphone and uh, how you like whether or not you're actually present with your friends and family. And yeah, like, uh, are you actually present in the present moment and mindful during the daytime? Because yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's not just the food that is like hijacking our intuition, it's also everything around us, the uh, mm -hmm. media and the news and all those things. So it's a, it's a, like an entire life uh, practice that you kind of have to adopt is. that is more focused on this mindfulness. Yeah, it is. And then when you start growing both the physical stuff, like improving metabolic flexibility and 
growing in awareness, it is it's, it's everything that you need to start to own that for yourself. So it's not a protocol in the book anymore. What people will do and what I have seen is the people start evolving the protocol in the book for themselves intuitively because we're all different. And that's the heart of functional medicine. It's that you can use something as a tool, but for a time, after a while, you're going to be able to evolve that to suit your own schedule and your own preference and how your where your body's at at this season. And what serves you today isn't necessarily what you're going to necessarily need to do over and over again for the rest of your life. We all change. We all evolve. It's okay to pivot. And that's what I want people to realize is that intuition is quite important. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would imagine that, um, you know, there has to be some some level of discomfort, at least like a, to a certain extent, because if you are like addicted to sugar, then uh, even just uh, not putting sugar into your coffee is uh, painful. <laughs> so like, yeah. how, how, how would you know, like, is, is this discomfort the actual good thing or is this discomfort taking it too far? Like, how do you know the signals? Well, it's back to that mindfulness practice. It's really important, but none of the fasts that I'm doing in the book are that deep, right? There, it's meaning it's it's going to be challenging for somebody that has some metabolic inflexibility or hasn't done this before. Um, but it's like that to use that a yoga analogy. When we go into, you know, I don't even do yoga that much, so I'm probably not the best person to talk about this. But if someone does like a more difficult move, like a like a deeper like warrior tube pose or one of those more advanced, not even advanced pose, but just, you know what I'm saying? Like if someone's like really sitting into a pose that doesn't come naturally to them, let's just say that. Mm-hmm. Is it uncomfortable in the moment? Yes, but you're building strength, you're building resilience, you're breathing through it, you're graining, even using that as an awareness practice too, as a meditation. That's the same way with that. Let's just use that um, 18 hour fast in week two as an example. Maybe someone's never done that, but it's an 18 hour fast. You have a six hour eating window. You're, you're, you're going to be all right because you're not doing it for the rest of your life. You're doing it for a time to m- build metabolic flexibility. And then you can go, you can expand and can contract out of it. So I think variability and diet variation can be a great tool. So yeah, if someone was doing a strict fast indefinitely, they were doing OMAD indefinitely and you weren't checking in with how they were optimizing OMAD, right? Yeah, that could be problematic of like, am I eating enough food? Am I being hypocaloric? Is there is there a physiological problem with how I'm doing this fast and we can troubleshoot that? That could be the case. But the, I'm really setting the person that's reading the book up for success because I've heard just about every <laughs> variable as far as, you know, excuses of why they can't do it or what if this happens? Like, what do I do? So I, it's like me as a functional medicine practitioner walking them through the protocol to say, I know what you're thinking right now. If you feel this way, adjust this. If you feel like that way, adjust that. Because, yeah, I've heard it all over 12 years. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And how how would you differentiate like uh, some physical hunger that is, you know, actual that you're hungry uh, or versus this emotional hunger that is just, you know, some uh, craving and something that's hijacking your mind? It's important that... And I talk about these troubleshooting things throughout the book, but to make sure that you're eating enough food within your eating window. So if you are not hypocaloric and you're eating enough food within that eating window and you know you're going to be having these longer refeeding 12-12s interspersed throughout the protocol anyways, um, that's the mega, the biggest thing. If you're doing that and you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, like discomfort during your intermittent fasting, that's a good thing. That's all right. Your immune systems, your, your microbiome's changing, your gut brain axis is changing, your body's learning to use fuel differently. That takes time. 
So just like if someone's starting that yoga class and they really suck at yoga for a while and it's super uncomfortable and they think, well, yoga is not for me. Uh, there's something wrong with yoga. Well, no, it's not. It's nothing wrong with yoga. It's your inflexibility that's the problem. So it's just that's what I'm really I built the protocol for somebody to actually be training their metabolism to be more flexible. That that involves being uncomfortable for a little bit. And that's a good mm -hmm. thing. But you can even use that as a mindfulness practice, too to really check in with your body and recheck why you're even doing what you're doing. Like how can you use this as an act of service for your body in a loving way? Mm -hmm. Because you're not always doing the hard stuff. You're doing the easy stuff too. Just like the end, at the end of yoga class, you have that Shavasana where you're laying down and like, what the heck, I've done this amazing thing. That's what that 12-12, you're expanding and contracting. You're then expanding that eating window at the end of that protocol where you're eating, you have a big refeeding day and you're increasing clean carbohydrates too. So we, I talk about clean carb cycling throughout the book as well. So you're not always doing the harder stuff, you're doing the, the yeah. easy stuff too. Hmm. Yeah, the yoga analogy is pretty good. <laughs> like, because you know, if you are sitting in a pose that you're not used to, then it is you know, somewhat difficult and uncomfortable, yeah. but, it, but it should never be like painful because it becomes painful, then you're doing it too much. You're stretching, right. you're stretching your boundaries too much and you're gonna get injured. So you have to kind of dial it back down to your level a little bit and uh, as exactly. you progress as you get more flexible then uh, it becomes less less uh it's more comfortable and it uh, doesn't hurt at all at, at that point exactly and even in even in each week there's a different type of fast i give them a range so that it, like you're saying like if it's like too uncomfortable they bring it down the next day bring it down in the lower end of that range to make the fast a little bit lighter because you're training and it's like that. Yeah. Are you doing a more advanced yoga pose or like slightly modifying it? And that's okay. Because mm. you do another cycle of the four weeks, you'll, you'll get more, you'll be able to go a little bit longer. Yeah. Are there like any uh, differences between men and women that they kind of take into account? Yeah, I, I, I spend a lot of the book talking about that because that's a very common question that I get is I heard that women can't intermittent fast and I needed to have a conversation about this because it's very reductionist to lump all women in together and everybody in the fasting community that are women mm -hmm. will say amen to that because the idea that all women are the same is just very oversimplified because is she going through PCOS or endometriosis or metabolic issues or weight loss resistance? She's going to respond to fast completely different than someone that's not that, but they're all women. So what's her baseline? What's her starting point is important. So the question we should ask is not if intermittent fasting is good for women or isn't good for women, but how is she intermittent fasting and who is she? That's what we should be asking. Yeah. Because context matters with this and so many other things that we have to look at how she's doing it. So the idea that, well, it's it, fasting just shouldn't even be entertained for women is absolutely not true. But I'm talking about a cyclical approach in the book that's not doing super digressive fasts for super long. With that said, bigger fasts can be helpful for somebody that are going through a lot of those metabolic issues for a time. And then you get to the point where you get into maintenance mode and you do a little bit more of a cyclical approach. So it's how much of this therapy do you need? Maybe you don't need that much of the therapy. Maybe it's a, more of a lighter fast that's cyclical. But a lot of people need more of an intervention with these tools like intermittent fasting to actually gain metabolic flexibility. And then intuitively they'll know, okay, look, this served me for a time. Now I can lighten up and loosen up and be more cyclical around your menstrual cycle. Or if you're not cycling, you can just do it throughout the week, you know, do some lower carb, deeper fast days and then clean carb cycle and do the 12-12 on the more of the refeeding days. These are all tools within the toolbox. And I'm saying 
I want you to learn about your body to see how, wh- how and when you pick up these tools from the toolbox. So instead mm-hmm. of saying this toolbox isn't for women, well, it's like, well, no, actually it is. We just need to learn how to use the tools. Hmm. But are, are there like any, uh, so- some things that are true so, or some modifications that they should do uh, different than men? Well, it depends on where she's starting from. You know, it's, it depends on where she's starting at because if she's going through more severe metabolic issues, I, 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 that's why that checking in with your body and mindfulness practice is so important. But generally speaking, let's just talk about the average per female long term. Mm. I would say doing lighter fasts around your period and around ovulation. And I give the specific days, everyone's cycle is different, but more or less around period and around ovulation, doing a 12, 12 and increasing those clean carbohydrates, like sweet potatoes and fruits and starchy tubers. And even like things like rice can be fine too, for some people around their ovulation and period to support progesterone, support microbiome diversity, to support thyroid hormone conversion, to start to support serotonin production and melatonin production around those days. All of that stuff can be a tool that women benefit from. Does that mean that every woman needs to do that? Absolutely not. So these are just tools to consider long-term for some women, they find that that to be beneficial for them. But again, that's not a gender thing. You can make a general statement about that, but I know women that are exceptions to that rule as well. Hmm. Gotcha. You, you know, like uh, generally um, it is said like women are more intuitive than men. So uh, would women have like an easier time doing this sort of intuitive fasting or eating? Yeah, I do. I, I find that over time, women actually do have a stronger sense of intuition and awareness of their body and can do it. They definitely have a different dance that they have to consider because of the cycling of estrogen and progesterone that, that, that men don't have. So long-term they could do, they could do it. The average person could do the protocol without any modification around their menstrual cycle. Many, many women can do it just as is through for a couple of cycles. But after a while, as we're talking about lifestyle changes, I find that the, the cyclical around a, a menstrual cycle can be quite helpful. Men mm-hmm. don't have to take that into consideration. But yeah, in general, guys are not as good at checking with their body and truly being um, in tune with their body. But that doesn't mean that I want to teach guys how to do it too. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think like a lot of the times, even if uh, men uh, do have the intuition and they do recognize you know, what changes they should do, uh, then they're still like more stubborn in a sense that they are going to grind through or uh, push through the, you know, discomfort much more than uh, women do. Uh, so that's kind of yeah. just another caveat that uh, although men can have like intuition, even the, even if they are like very mindful and stuff, they can just be more uh, stubborn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think when you start to feel better and start to teach people these practices, you know, men or women, whoever, like, I think that people can start to own this for themselves. And it's not about, they can ultimately do whatever they want. But I, if, if someone's checking in with why they're doing what they're doing, and they could start being excited by doing things that are different, and hopefully get past their stubbornness, or their whatever, right. it was whatever's keeping them back from feeling their best. Hmm. Uh, what, what about like fertility and uh, fasting? So, um, you know, should should uh, women uh, fast when they are trying to conceive or if they are pregnant? Well, if they are pregnant, they should talk to their doctor. I mean, that's the general advice that I would give. Talk to your doctor and depends on how she's intermittent fasting. And of, of course, not being hypocaloric, make sure she's eating enough food. But these moderate time compressed feeding windows, if they get the go ahead from their doctor, I think it can be fine. 
I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily recommend someone starting doing intermittent fasting in the middle of their pregnancy and talk with your doctor because there may be exceptions to what I just said. I don't necessarily think that's the best time to be leaning into these practices. But if someone's already intermittent fasting and they're eating enough food, women would have done that for a long, long time. I don't think there needs to be a, a exaggerated over dramatization of that. Um, but uh, if somebody is looking to be pregnant, I, intermittent fasting can be a great tool to lower inflammation levels, to support the gut-brain axis and the brain hormonal axis, improve insulin signaling. I mean, there's so many things that come to mind on how proper nutrition plus flexible intermittent fasting can be a wonderful tool, tool to improve fertility over time. Yeah. And obviously, study-wise, I'm sure more studies need to be done to look at all the different uh, complexities of that topic. But generally speaking, from a functional medicine standpoint, I can tell you that people's when their health improves, improving someone's health is part of improving fertility. Yeah, 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 that, absolutely. And uh, it's much better to do the fasting uh, than to be like obese or uh, with metabolic syndrome. So because those things are definitely going to reduce your fertility. And for men, it's going to like sp reduce uh, sperm quality and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, I think there's like a fine balance that, you know, being in this very hypocaloric state for too long all the time and under stress, that's definitely going to, you know, reduce fertility, but at the same time, this overnourishment and uh, excess in calories, et cetera, that's also going to be bad. So I have to kind of find again, like this yeah. golden balance between the two. Exactly. Strike that balance and find that sweet spot where you're not be exactly like you said, not being too aggressive. I don't think that's good for anybody, especially when you're trying to conceive and, and have a baby, but that finding that intuitive sweet spot with this, is a great tool. And just going back to that yoga class, you're not always doing the weird hard poses. You're going in and out of it. Like you're not always sitting in a, in a warrior two pose for like months on end. Like you can yeah. expand and can contract from that and use this as a tool within the toolbox and more isn't always better. And refeeding and doing these other tools that aren't fasting are important too. So yeah. that is, uh, should always be understood that we're not like telling people to fast their way out of a poor diet or fast aggressively forever and ever. It's just a tool. These are all hormetic effects and things of hormone that brings about hormesis in the body are good, but the dosage matters. And you're not always in a cold bath. You're not always doing a sauna. You're not always yeah. doing hit training. These are all great too. They're all hormetic. doesn't mean you're always doing them. So that's what I feel like fasting gets this weird reductionist opinion about it but it's like well how are you doing that you're not saying the same thing for for sauna therapy or ice bath you're not saying that about hit training because you know you're not always doing those things and i think that the how you do it is really important and that's why i wanted to bring that context to that conversation especially for people that are outside of the fasting community that just don't get it and hopefully through the book they can understand what we're talking about and what the science is referring to hmm, yeah yeah, you can't like really fast forever and uh, eventually you're gonna have to eat. So, uh, yeah. you know, th that's where the, I would imagine like intuitive eating would also come into play because those things uh, ha have to work uh, together. Yeah, exactly. You're not fasting forever. That's called starvation. <laughs> We're yeah. not advocating that. Yeah. So uh, how would you, you know, combine intuitive eating? Like, um, you know, once you start to eat, uh, so how, like, what are some intuitive signs you can look for? Well, I'm using a clean ketogenic diet as a tool. So I feel like, I mean, you know this, but for people that are maybe new to this conversation, it's like, well, you're getting a lot of the fasting mimicking benefits in ketosis when you're eating food. 
So doing a sort of clean Mediterranean or ketotarian diet with some omnivore options too, like a Mediterranean ketogenic diet when you are breaking your fast is a great way to complement that fast because you're supporting beta hydroxybutyrate even when you're not fasting. But also it's very nutrient dense food. So it'll make your fast easier, even beyond ketosis. If you're eating filling nutrient dense foods, when you're fast, you'll ebb and flow out of that fast a lot more effortlessly. Um, and also nutritionally, you're going to be feeding your body amazing things that be supportive of health. So I think that the two sides of the same coin and someone that's trying to fast and not looking at the foods that they're eating, I think is just an incomplete perspective of a larger context of what we're talking about when it comes to health and wellness. Mm -hmm. um, look, I know that studies that have shown like if the part, some people don't have to change their diet that much to see the benefits of intermittent fasting that had to be done in research to make sure where's the benefits coming from? Is it coming from someone changing their diet, their calories or, or is it, it with these hours of, of com time compressed feeding? Well, that had to be done in the scientific literature, but from a real life standpoint, I wouldn't advocate for somebody to just like not change the foods that they're eating and then go into intermittent fasting. You could see some benefits of it because you're giving your body a break from all the junk for more time to repair itself. But is that really what I want for people? No. And so you have to look at food as a foundation tool too, just like fasting is another foundation tool. So um, that's what I'm having people do. And then they're doing a cyclical approach. So they're increasing their clean carbohydrates very modestly. It's, it's 75 grams, 150 grams. So basically your average paleolithic diet, um, women can do that around their period or some people do it around a heavier workout. Not everybody has to do that, but these are tools at the, in the toolbox that um, you can go in and out of this uh, yeah. ketotic state. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be like a massive amount of carbs to uh, maintain that flexibility. And uh, usually it's also easier to get back on track uh, with that. So if you're like completely Absolutely. going off rails, uh, then uh, it's much harder to get back on track because you kind of reset the system a little bit. So uh, if you're you know, just bumping yourself a little bit out of the ketosis, then it's, uh, yeah, you maintain in the um, keto adaptation for uh, much longer. Absolutely, yeah. And they can go right back into it a lot faster too. You're yeah. right, it's, these are all really cool tools that I know work for people. Um, and most people don't realize they think they have to be, they don't realize how amazing their body is. If you just give it the chance to do, to do what it's capable of. Mm -hmm. Do you have like any, um, tips for people who are like struggling with overeating, even if they are eating like healthy foods, like they just can't put the fork down. If you, if, if they uh, stop, uh, you, if they break the fast, then they kind of go into this uh, overeating mode. Well, I think intermittent fasting is a great way to, to, to deal that with that. So if there are eating healthy foods, but they are eating like calorically a lot more than they should have. I would assume there's going to be some hormonal signaling issues there, which is driven by these metabolic issues. So if there's leptin and ghrelin and insulin and leptin issues, then I want people to um, start to improve their hormonal signaling pathways to have proper communication lines. And that's one of the physiological reasons why I want people to do it. I do see that. I, I see that from most of my patients when they're meeting me, they eat way cleaner than the average American or average European, but they're still struggling. And they are still, even though better off than they would be if they weren't doing all the things that they've been doing, but they're still overeating this, these calorically dense foods because they haven't fully healed the um, hormonal signaling issues. And I think intermittent fasting is a great way for somebody who has cleaned up their diet to really take it to the next level, to start improving these signaling pathways and cleaning up 
the dysfunction that's left over from maybe their years of, of abusing their body by eating unhealthy foods. Mm, yeah. And I also think that um, just eating more these satiating foods and uh, those can be can do the trick as well, because if you're eating only, let's say, you may be eating like healthy foods like, you know, cabbage and uh, lettuce, but you're not really getting anything satiating from it. So you have to kind of oh. incorporate, like incorporate some of the proteins and healthy fats as well to get the satiety signal uh, because your brain like needs those uh, nutrients. And if you're not really getting that, you may getting like the food volume, which is, you know, this mass, mass of fiber into your stomach, but you're not really satiated from that. So you just uh, keep on eating. Absolutely. Yeah. So I give people the general macronutrient ranges that I want people to be mindful of to be to, to be well satiated, make sure that they're getting these complete, complete pro, proteins to make sure that they're adequate protein. And of course, getting their fats optimized because I mean, healthy fats and protein are the best way to improve the, the um, satiety signaling, even without intermittent fasting, they're a great way. Um, but also too, it's like, if people are surprised sometimes when they do clean up their diet and the, you use something like chronometer or another sort of diet tracking app, how much of these like healthier treats like paleo treats and paleo desserts, there still can be a lot of carbohydrates. So even though they're better than the standard Western junk food, it doesn't just because something's better doesn't necessarily mean it's optimal. So mm -hmm. I think that that's the conversation around where are you getting your fuel from and getting like 200 grams of like some honey laden paleo treat isn't necessarily <laughs> going to be conducive for you long term. No shame on the paleo treats because I love them too, but <laughs> just the amount that we're eating needs to be looked at. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, even then, it's like uh, every once in a while, it's it's also you know good to take a break from that. And uh, if you have developed a certain level of this intuition and mindfulness, then you can get back uh, back to it uh, much easier. So even like slipping off at that point, like making making a cheat day or something or cheat meal, uh, even then it's not uh, that big of a deal because you already know that you can uh, go back on track uh, where these are. Absolutely. That's a great point. I, I Like the uh, analogy in my mind, what I'm talking about with this with patients is like, let's create an awesome foundation for you. And that metabolic flexibility is this foundation that you feel freaking amazing. And you like you generally speaking, you don't want to dim to it's a bad trade-off to do something yeah. that's going to dim how amazing you feel but yeah. you still have some pivot capacity and you know yourself so well you know your body so well like you said even if you make the a mindful decision to say i'm going to have this thing i know it's not the best for me but you know what works for you you can pivot from there but you you know your center so well you can pivot right back to it you're not yeah. going to like pay for it for days on end because you have such an awesome awareness of how to serve your body and you have the freedom and the peace to go pivot from that center yeah. live your life it's fine but i think using even that as a mindfulness practice is a good thing to say okay was this worth it was having that food that i knew wasn't great for me was it worth it okay then maybe you were out with your friends and enjoying your life and you did something you don't do it all the time it was worth it um, okay, then do it and move on. Quit shaming yourself because the shame is worse than the junk food at that yeah, point. Yeah, or sure. maybe you'll use it as a mindfulness practice and say, heck, this was not worth it. Then you'll remember it next time because you love feeling great more than you thought you missed that food that yeah. wasn't worth it at all. So yeah. these are all the, the aspects of food peace that I want people to know intuitively about themselves. Hmm. Yeah, like I, I like to say that uh, it like takes more discipline to basically eat this bad food uh, worst food for you and get back on track than to not eat it at all because like it's very easy to say no to once you get into the routine then it's very easy to say no to everything like just uh, yeah. that's not what i do but it's harder to like eat it and get back on track so it takes more discipline and more like intuition and more mindfulness to actually do it and uh 
be able to also you know have enough uh, this uh, skill to uh, you know not be, not make a big deal out of it and also get back on track. So you know, like depends on what kind yeah. of uh, what kind of life you want to live and what kind yeah. of uh, what kind of level of uh, self discipline you end up having. Yeah, and make the choice for yourself. But you're right. I mean, it's like most people will know like when they start building these things for themselves, they don't want to erode the awesomeness that they've built for themselves. Hmm. What are some of the things that you know um, tend to cloud your uh, intuition and judgment more uh, besides just food and all the like junk food? Uh, are there any, anything else that kind of does it? Well, I think that you touched upon it earlier. I think that constantly being distracted almost like looking at stress and technology and things that bring physiological stress that's like that's junk food for the soul because it's it could raise inflammation levels just as much as that refined sugar or industrial seed oil or something like this i mean when somebody is in an unhealthy environment they're in a toxic relationship or an unhealthy work environment or aren't sort of supporting their parasympathetic more they're not getting proper sleep at night i mean there's a lot of different things to be looking at that are impacting your physiology just as much as the foods that you eat mm-hmm. so people need to realize that yeah it's it's it is about what you're eating for breakfast lunch and dinner but what are you serving your head and your heart for the rest of the day too and you're probably serving your head and your heart a lot more than calories when it comes yeah. to food so that stuff needs to be understood as well because that's part of that metaphysical meals that i'm talking about in the book if you're constantly feeding yourself metaphysical junk food you're raising inflammation levels up throwing up your hormones and it's we live in a culture that really feeds distraction Mm -hmm. and feeds uh, someone getting in their head and out of their body, meaning that they're so caught up in their thoughts and so caught up in maybe other people's thoughts, right? If they're constantly scrolling through social media or constantly looking at advertisement and looking at what media wants you to see, you're just out of your body and you're in this distracted mode. Um, And I want people to start getting a rootedness in their body again and connecting with their body. And part of that is connecting with nature, which we're a part of. So these metaphysical meals are super important because they start to break that cycle and allow you to be more in alignment with your physiology to to know what truly serves you. Because you could be watching TV or on your phone, like mindlessly eating. That's part of it, the problem. It's like the foods, maybe what you're eating isn't good, but it's the mindlessness the uh, unconsciousness, that uh, behavior that's really fueling that unhealthy relationship with somebody's food in that instance. Or if it, even if it doesn't have anything to do with food, it could just be the stress, the FOMO-inducing content you're seeing online or the fear-inducing content you're seeing on the news that could yeah. be feeding that sympathetic fight-or-flight inflamed state that's perpetuating somebody's health problems. Mm, yeah. yeah, stress is pretty big. And uh, it has been shown, you know, the stress creates this... Um, like comfort food uh, desire you want to just uh, you don't want to um, you know comfort yourself and do something good for yourself and you think that you know the best thing for that is ice cream or cookies or something and the same applies to like sleep deprivation that if you are sleep deprived then your brain just wants to like give me the sugar or give me some of these uh, hyper palatable foods because i'm like uh, starving of energy and uh, that is very like high in calories yeah, absolutely. So all of this is connected. So I think if people start dealing with the physical stuff, dealing with the mental, emotional, spiritual stuff, they can start getting strong in both areas. And they're really all the one, all the same area, really, at the end of the day, they're you. Mm-hmm. And we like to separate mental health from physical health. I think we talked about this last time, but mental health is physical health. And yeah. when you we see them as like the physiological stuff, because it's food and not food, but they're really the not food stuff impacts your physiology just as much as the food stuff.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you talk a lot about uh, autoimmune issues as well and um, mm-hmm. inflammation. So, how, can you like what are some intuition signs uh, about let's say you have some food intolerances and some allergies that you may not be aware of all the time? Well, yeah, I mean, in, in the you're right. Most of my patients are on that larger autoimmune inflammation spectrum. And there's like so much exciting research around that I talk about in intuitive fasting around autoimmunity and inflammation and what it can do and, and, and the gut circadian rhythm research. I mean, there's so many cool things on that <laughs> that I could talk about. But um, going back a book to the inflammation spectrum, I started that a quiz. I started that book with another quiz, the inflammation spectrum quiz. And both of these quizzes are adapted from questions that I ask patients that sometimes it's, People just checking in with this, their body, checking in with how they feel to start knowing, oh, wow, I didn't even realize that was my body telling me this wasn't working for me. So these check engine lights in functional medicine are like these signs and symptoms that many people just push through the day. They live through it. They don't even realize it's, it's not normal. Uh, they can start to really learn about their body and check in with their body because your body, our bodies are oftentimes telling us things. And if you're not in the health space, it's really easy to just the, chalk it up to this is just my body, but it's really the body saying that this is an inflammatory sign and I'm not feeling good with this. And then you can start to decode and start to understand well, what's working for you. So I think an elimination diet's a great way to learn about your physiology and use food as a mindfulness practice in a different way. That's not what intuitive fasting is really about, even though in a way, because I'm changing the foods that they eat. And I do talk about reintroduction in intuitive fasting, but it's very much about more of, of the mindfulness practice and intermittent fasting in that. But I think the inflammation spectrum is a great resource for people that want to learn more about food reactivities, because I talk about at length, food and the differences between food intolerances, allergies, and reactivities and sensitivities and all of that, because those terms are oftentimes conflated, but understanding what is, what works for my body. So if someone wants to look at under the umbrella of however they prefer to eat, what foods work for them and which foods don't, um, that's a great resource. And then the slow systematic, I say slow, I don't mean that to be negative. I mean, just the thoughtful reintroduction process is really important with that because you can use that as a mindfulness practice to see, okay, this, this increased my symptoms. I feel more inflamed. I feel I have more digestive problems. I have more fatigue. I have more anxiety. I have more whatever, because I go through that process because these are all inflammatory issues. So if that food's raising inflammation levels, that's not going to necessarily be a food you want to be working on. We can use that again, like, was it worth it or is it not? Like, maybe you are okay with eating lower levels of this food that's raising inflammation levels, and you can make that decision for yourself. But regardless, I want you to have the choice and the discernment on what works for you and what doesn't. And we're all different. And because of this evolutionary mismatch that we're living in, even healthy foods, normally healthy foods could be reaction, could be a problem for some of these people with autoimmunity. So uh, that's what the inflammation spectrum is about. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, a good uh, resource as well. And is there like, is there any specific way like fasting can uh, improve autoimmune conditions? Without a doubt, 100%. I mean, there's amazing studies to show that we can support lowering these inflammatory pathways, the gut circadian rhythm, we, we have certain colonies of bacteria that are higher in the morning, some are higher in the evening, you have sort of this 
wave-like motion of this gut garden and intermittent fasting, specifically time compressed feeding has been shown to help to support the resetting of the gut microbiome circadian rhythm. This is 75% of the immune system. Hmm. So when you're dealing with autoimmune issues, you wanna look at where the predominance of the immune system resides, which is in the gastrointestinal system. So from lowering inflammation levels, uh, and help supporting gut health. And then you can talk about the autophagy supporting and the BDNF supporting and the mitochondrial supporting and all the other, even balancing blood sugar itself is good for the immune system. There's a lot of really important infrastructural things that we're building with intermittent fasting over time that uh, would be uh, behoove people that are struggling with autoimmunity. Right, yeah. Yeah, I definitely recommend people to check out all those books and uh, yeah. It's been good talking with you. Before I ask my last question, um, where can people you know, learn more about you and your work and uh, where can they get the books? Thanks, man. Uh, everything's at drwillcole.com. So that's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. Gotcha. We're going to put all the links in the show notes. And um, my last question is, um, like, what's this uh, one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted uh, before starting to do uh, intermittent fasting? Like, uh, or wish you, wish you knew about intermittent fasting before you started it? Well, I think the mindfulness approach is important. I, I don't want to, I know we keep talking about this, but I really would advocate people to uh, br bring a mindfulness practice in your life to, to impact not only your fast and improve the quality of the fast and the benefits of the fast and learn about yourself in a deeper way on a, on a, a mental, emotional, spiritual level, but also do that with eating too. bring a more of a mindful awareness to you're eating and not to be mindlessly eating or eating when you're stressed or eating when you're distracted, bring a rootedness in your body when you're eating. Uh, so that would be one, but on a practical level, I think a, I, don't underestimate the power of uh, exogenous electrolytes <laughs> when mm. you're fasting, <laughs> they can make a fast so much easier. Yeah. So like popping in like an electrolyte supplement in water, sipping on that throughout the day, supporting magnesium, potassium, sodium, and chloride, I think is a uh, practical thing that I always thought ah, I could do without it. It's not that big of a deal. But when I started bring, sipping on electrolyte water throughout my fast, it makes the fast like amazing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's a good advice. And definitely like your mental clarity will be also higher in the sense yeah. you get, you, cut, you hydrate yourself and uh, prevent yourself from being too stressed out. Yeah, for sure. Well, awesome. It was great talking with you again. And yeah, I'll see you another time in the future, maybe yes. in a podcast. <laughs> I would love that. Thanks so much.